Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefni Early and you are listening to a very special edition of A Current Affair here on the podcast. It is of course seven days from the general election and we are doing a feature on the candidates running in the Sligo Leitrim constituency. Of course it also includes South Donegal and North Roscommon. 19 candidates on the ballot paper. It's going to take a mathematical genius to work out where the votes are going to go. But all I'm worried about today is where your vote is going to go. So what we've done is we've invited each of the candidates to come in and have a chat with us, relaxed, informal, just discussion about themselves, their background in politics, and I suppose their beliefs and their reasons for getting involved in this particular election and allowing their names to go forward for you and me to judge them and to make a decision on who we want to be our public representatives for the next dull period. We have nine candidates on today's show, and the reason why we don't have the full complement of 19 is varied. I'm going to go through the list in alphabetical order, and it's the order you'll hear from the candidates as we go through the show. Nessa Cosgrove of the Labour Party, Shane Ellis of Fianna Fáil, Frank Feehan of Fianna Gael, Blohine Gallagher of the Green Party, Marion Harkin, an independent candidate, Martin Kenny of Sinn Féin, Anne McCluskey of Aintu, Gina O'Boyle of People Before Profit, Oshin O'Dwyer of Renewa. Now, they're the nine candidates we have on the show today. Some of them have running mates. In Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, there's more than one candidate. We haven't included any other candidate in those parties. One other candidate, an independent candidate, came back to me, and we just couldn't organise the logistics of actually sitting down to get the interview in the last couple of days. Another candidate, who I'm not going to mention in terms of a name, did set a date and an interview and then left me hanging, didn't show up for the interview, and five others did not respond. So the nine who were invited and responded and showed up to do the interviews are the list that I've just read out. We're going to give you about 10 minutes with each candidate and you'll get a really good feel of what that candidate is about, what they hope to do should they be elected at the general election next week. It is hopefully going to help you make up your mind. Now, I'm bearing in mind that this is probably the first time a lot of people listening to the show will have actually tuned in, uh, those who are supporting various candidates. We would like you to stick around, so maybe think about subscribing to the show. You can either subscribe to our email newsletter from our website by clicking on the option on leitrimdaily.com. Just click on newsletter, put in your email, and you'll get the weekly digest from us each and every week. Or if you'd prefer on your podcast app of choice whether it's spotify apple podcasts or even youtube or wherever you get your podcasts just search for leitrim daily and click subscribe and follow it's completely free we would love your company you can join the 1500 or so others that listen to the show each and every day okay well anyway that's enough about leitrim daily let's get on to the candidates and try and help you make an informed decision about who you would like to support at next week's election Now, she might have come in in a lovely red coat, which matches the county she was born in and the party that she represents in this election. Nessa Cosgrove of the Labour Party, welcome to Thank you. Leitrim Daily. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself, first of all. Who is Nessa Cosgrove? Um, I'm from Cork, like you said. I'm from Bandon, um, or Castlelac, actually. It's three miles outside Bandon. 
Um, I suppose I'm living up here. I'm a youth worker. I'm a youth liaison worker. I'm living up here in the northwest since 2001. I started off living in Bundoran and Ballyshannon, and I was involved in a youth project there. And then I went to Glastonbury one summer and met my husband there, um, Kevin Mann. He's from Coot Hill. Um, in Glastonbury? In, in Glastonbury, yeah. So it was great. I was actually working in one of the bars there, and he was there with a friend of mine. So we didn't just bump in. It wasn't just quite love at first sight, but we met, you know, through a mutual friend. Um, and then a year later, exactly a year later, we put a deposit on a house in Cartram that we're still living in. Wow. So that was fast. You met to buy a house in a year. A year, exactly like a year later. Half men don't like spending money either. Well, no, I don't know, but they'd like eating their dinner out of the drawer. No, they don't do that. And peeling the orange in their pocket, that doesn't happen. So, yeah. So a year later, and then we, and we're still in the same house. Um, we were lucky that we had, like, we rented out all the rooms in the house. And so we did, you know, we, did, we made very good friends, actually, from people that rented the rooms. Um, and then we got married four years later, and we have three children now. Sarah is 11, Tom is nine, and Saul is seven. Um, and I moved jobs then, so I'm working in the same job in the Sligo Leitrim Home Youth Liaison Service since 2005. I'm a youth liaison worker. Excellent. And why politics and why the Labour Party? Um, I got involved because I went out, I was, first of all I became a member of SIP2 because us in the volunteering community sector are, so, oh, I'm like a broken record saying it, but we are so underrepresented. We're badly paid, we have had no pay rise in 10 years, no pensions, short-term contracts, a real two-tier system. Like, I wasn't too bad, I came in and I got three increments, but the ones behind me are coming in, staying on the same wages, but well-qualified, very similar to, like, the Big Start campaign, childcare workers as well, except they're paid worse than we are. Um, so then I, so I was just, I was getting fed up, and then I was sick of not having a voice. I, my children were young, so I couldn't really go out campaigning and stuff, like, for marriage equality and stuff, I wasn't involved in that. I was I was always involved in kind of protests and stuff when I was younger. I would have been involved like the Iraqi war. I was at that you now in Dublin where there was 100,000 people there. Um, I just I was just sick of I was sick of the homeless the crisis was spiraling out of control. I was sick of the fact that we were broke. We were so broke myself my husband we were actually working full time and pay, working full time Connor was self-employed. Just Connor was self-employed like even just having to save up money to buy a pair of shoes. Do you know like from, it was just getting ridiculous. We were going to Australia. We actually went through the whole process. And we had our visas got. Um, Saul was only a baby. Like, Saul actually was there for a year. We ended up changing our flights, and Connor's brother lives in Perth, so we went over to his wedding. But we had our flights booked. We were all set to go. We had full residency. We'd applied for residency. And then one, we were, we were supposed to go in August. I think it was the 11th of August or the 12th of August we were supposed to go. And Connor rang me one day in work in May. I had my notice sent in at work and everything. I had to take it back out again. We had our dogs rehoused. It was a, a nightmare. And it was just because we couldn't afford to live. But Connor was like, I don't want to go. And I was like, I don't want to go either. And we changed our flights. I was lucky my boss gave me my job back. Um, but we were just sick of it. I was sick of being broke. And we were and like, I suppose Connor was self-employed. There was no prospects for getting a job and the more he worked he like he was a software developer but he was self-employed he was kind of doing hardware pc hard maintenance and networking but because he was doing a lot of work in volunteering community centers he used to do a lot of that they were getting cut money so we like where i work places like organizations where i work so they couldn't afford to buy new computers they couldn't afford to have servers they couldn't afford to get any maintenance done so i was just fed up so i joined uplift you know that online community uplift um and I just started feeling, yeah, I need to have a voice here. Um, and I just, and then That's I was... Bill Gates, isn't it? It's Siobhan O'Donoghue. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Rory McKiernan, he, he's oh, on I know the board. Rory. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'd be on the board. He's actually from Cootail, where Connor and my husband's okay. from. They were on the corner, they grew up together. But, so I, I just was just, 
I just was sick of mourning, I suppose. I was sick of sitting back and feeling I had no control over my future. I couldn't watch the environmental crisis just spiral out of control either. It was just like, is anyone taking any notice? So I came, I, I like Susan O'Keefe. I had a lot of respect for Susan. So I went out canvassing with her. I just thought, right, I need to kind of do something. Went out canvassing for her and I met just a lovely crowd of Labour and they just put their arms around me and welcomed me so much into the party. So how do you go from canvassing to being on the ticket yourself a couple of years uh, later? Um, because the membership was very low, I suppose, and I became secretary of the branch and the constituency. So I started going to meetings and there, it is really low. Like we're trying to build up numbers all the time. We're trying to build up numbers. Um, so then I just think, I, you know, we look forward. For, it was for the local council. I ran for the local council in Sligo. Um, and I did well. You know, I didn't get in, but I got a good enough vote to think, yeah, we need a bit of representation up here. I thought, I remember I spoke at the conference in, Labour Party conference in um, in Dublin, and it was my first, this was in 2018. And I just said there was, I couldn't imagine anyone representing me. Like, you know, there was, and I think there's a lot of people like me. Like we had, there was a strong vote for repealing the eighth, marriage equality passed. There was, but I just thought the politicians we have were conservative, entitled, and I just like, I, there's nobody there that I can actually vote for. Let's talk about the Labour Party in Sligo and the history, yeah. because as a kid, I remember on the spring tide, Declan Bree won a seat for Labour in Sligo and then subsequently, at a later date, left the party and kind of brought a lot of that support with him. He still yeah. maintained his council seat, although he hasn't been back in the doll since. Inter- and he is running again mm-hmm. this time. Has that affected the Labour Party in Sligo? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it has. And I suppose Labour, or, you know, Declan has no time for the Labour Party. So he, and he spends a lot of time actually slagging off the Labour Party. You know, he goes out of his way to slag off the Labour Party. So, yeah, it has a big effect. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's got his own following. and He's got his own core vote. Um, and yeah, he, and I suppose I voted. But, you know, when I joined, moved to Sligo, I would have voted for Declan Bree as well, you know. But I can see maybe that... I'm not sure, like he was an independent, he was a socialist independent before he joined the Labour Party and then he left again, so maybe he prefers to be an independent. Okay, in terms of um, going forward and the challenge that it is then for a Labour candidate to, to be elected, what are the big challenges in your experience of the, the last few weeks and what's coming ahead for the next week? Um, it's very obvious that, like even today we were on the Ocean FM debate this morning and Thomas Walsh was saying, he was sitting beside me from Fine Gael and he was saying he's got a canvassing team of 240, whereas I've got a canvassing team of about eight. So, and it, I mean, it's a lot of my friends, you know, it's a lot of my friends come out and, and people are busy. Like we've a lot of my friends are the same age as me, we have small kids, you know, so people have their own lives. Where, so you can see how... It's man on the ground. like it's, And we're just trying to build it up. We're trying to build up membership. And a lot of people, I suppose, don't want to. Like, I have friends that help me put up posters. I have friends that do help me with social media. But don't want but to join the party. Canvassing and don't want to join parties. Like, people don't want to be to become members of parties, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I get that completely. Let's talk about some of the policies that Labour want to enact if they're in government after the election. I suppose Labour want to just stop spending money. Like, we pay enough taxes and just to spend money where it's supposed to be spent. So, like, in, in healthcare, roll-out launch care. Like, it's, it was a cross-party plan. It's a really good plan. Invest in primary care centres in rural communities, in all communities. Um, I suppose for rural Ireland, to put enterprise centres, like this hive here, it's amazing. Put these in towns and villages. Put them into small villages. Put all, like, counselling services, OT services, all, I would see it as all part of the primary care service, that they're all linked in. Have proper public transport. Like, we... And I can just see my parents, where they live in rural Ireland, in Cork, that there's no public transport. If anything, my dad drives, my mum doesn't. If anything happened to my dad, I'm stuck. Like, she's got no, there's no bus route. And this happens all over Ireland. 
and um, bring down the fares in public transport. Like they're too expensive. Do you know? Like if we're going, we say for a family of us going to Dublin the five, there's no way you do it. It, it has to be cheaper to go on the train or public transport than it is to bring your car. Yeah, it costs a couple um, hundred euro. Well, yeah, it would. Maybe two hundred yeah, euros for Dublin and the train. I mean, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. So I suppose there are issues like about climate action. We are. I mean, this is that's the issue of our time. You know, and like. If we don't start investing in quality public transport, it's never going to change. I know people talk about electric cars and grand, but that's not going to help what we're here, really. Let's talk about housing. What's yeah. the plan for housing? So Labour want to build 80,000 land on, on public land, 80,000 houses on public land, social and affordable housing. The money is there. We're going to use some of NAMA money, going to use some, there's a rainy day fund, and the money is there to build it. It's just the will. Like, I suppose, I don't want, I know we're not going to go into slagging off other parties, but... It was made of all to stop building social housing, do you know? It was. Well, they're not here to defend themselves, no. so I'm going to... Okay, that's um, all right. <clears throat> but in terms of, let's talk about what Labour are going to do. Yeah, so Labour, that's what Labour want to do. They want they want to freeze rents. They want to put a nationwide rent freeze, which is being blocked as well. Um, but a nationwide rent freeze and, and incentives that people are actually, that they can rent to buy. So basically, to give people a break, give renters a break that they can afford to have a deposit. Affordable houses that people can actually buy the houses. Do you know that people that there's work out that maybe your mortgage could be used as, you know, rent could be used as seen as an up, a down payment for your mortgage. Just basic, basic stuff. Like Labour is all about going back. Labour across the world is basic tin. Get, it says what it says in the tin. Quality public services. It's the same with healthcare. It's the same with housing. It's the same with public transport. Education, genuinely free primary education. Childcare services, with subsidies. I mean, they were, they're so... Uh, Childcare workers are so underpaid and undervalued just because there's not enough investment in it. Like, I think there's... Is it 0.5% of the GDP is invested in, in childcare in Ireland? Whereas in the average is... It's actually, no, it's 02 and the average around Europe is 0.8% of GDP. So it's just... And subsidies and throwing money at these problems and one-stop payments and tax breaks, they don't work. Just genuine commitment to people. We're almost out of time, but in terms of your goals for next Saturday in the election, what would constitute a success for you? Is it a seat? Is it a target in terms of number of votes? Is it building party membership in the area? What will reflect success for you and the Labour Party in the election? Like, obviously, I'd love to get a seat. I wouldn't be running if I didn't want to get a seat. Um, but I want to do well. I want I want an alternative voice, people, that someone have a, someone else to vote for. Um, rather than Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, rather, you know, a bit of this, just someone else that would ref- that reflect my views. I suppose the Labour Party have all of us been about, like they we led out, we led out in marriage equality, led out in repealing the eighth things that we've been doing for years, looking after children. And I think, yeah, like, I mean, even within the party itself, like there's Labour LGBT, there's Labour disability, there's Labour women. Like we've always protected minority groups, and all, and that's what you, I believe in is equality and justice. So I hope, so I, I would love the membership to grow, of course we would, but a good vote for me would, a vote that I'm proud of, you know, that I've, that I've, enough people actually think, yeah, she's actually worth voting for and I think she could do a good job. And you have a figure in your head, do you? No. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Listen, Nessa Cosgrove of the Labour Party, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. For the last 10 minutes and the very best luck to you Thanks, as well as the rest of the, the people running next Saturday thank and you. evening. Now, the name Ellis needs no introduction, particularly when it comes to Fianna Fáil politics in County Leitrim. And I'm joined by Fianna Fáil candidate, Shane Ellis. Shane, welcome to the show. Morning, Breffney. How are you? I'm great. And yourself? Very good. How's the campaign going? campaign is going very good. It's very positive. Uh, out in the doors, we're knocking doors, meeting people, and we're getting a great response. 
Let's uh, have a little chat about you and let introduce yourself to people who might not be familiar with you and, and your background. Yeah, I'm Shane Ellis. I'm 37. I live in Fina, uh, in the south part of the county. Uh, I'm involved in agriculture and farming all my life. I went to college in Dublin. I studied business and marketing. And I came back to work uh, in the agribusiness on the farm at home. And I suppose politics, as we mentioned in the introduction, has, has never been far from your, your family's mind, at least. When did the interest in politics start, or has it always kind of been there simmering over? It was always there. Like, if, if you grow up in a political household like I did, it's never far from the door. Uh, my earliest memories is when we were young, uh, we'd see Dad on a Monday before he'd go to a county council meeting, and we'd see him on Friday evening when he'd come back from Dublin. They were our earliest memories. Uh, it was... A great childhood. My mother was very, very good to us. She made a great job, I think, of bringing us up. Uh, Dad, when he was there, he was, he was very good to us, very kind to us. Uh, we used to love his monthly clinic. He used to travel the county. He'd start in Mulvey's in Ballinaglare at half ten. He'd finish in the Bush Hotel or the old county, actually, at, at about six on a Saturday, the first Saturday of every month. So uh, we used to love... That was our treat. If we got away with, with Dad for the Saturday... Uh, that was the treat because you knew you got sweets in Mulvies, you got sweets in, in Kilty when you got as far as Kilty and uh, if you're lucky you got a burger and chips when you got as far as Manor Hamilton but uh, there were good times yeah it was good, it was good growing up in, in a house like that the phone never stopped ringing it was busy yeah it, it was a good childhood and uh, it was a great introduction to politics How does that compare to your own experience in the last month or so once the campaign kind of kicked off in earnest? Here I love it uh, I love going out knocking doors, I love meeting the people. Uh, as I said, we're getting a great response. Uh, people see a need for change in Leitrim. Uh, they see dialysis as having a name of delivering for Leitrim. That's something that we really see on the doors. Uh, and people see that they want representation. Uh, it's 13 years since we had a government TD in County Leitrim, that being my father. There hasn't been a government TD of any party in Leitrim in 13 years. If we don't elect a Leitrim TD this time that's most likely going to be in government will be another five years if it runs its full term uh, without a TD. That's 18 years without a TD in County Leitrim. It's a full generation. And uh, I think Leitrim need their fair slice of the cake. We're being left behind and I'm there to stand up for the people of Leitrim. I'm asking them to give me their number one vote or their highest preference and I will deliver for them because we have been without representation. In terms of, I suppose Martin Kenny might disagree that they haven't been representing Leitrim, but that's another story. In terms of your own participation in politics and in, in the public sphere, you haven't been yourself directly involved in the council or in politics before. Is that a, an advantage or a disadvantage? Uh, it's a disadvantage in ways some people might see it, but I see it as an advantage because anything I've been asked to do, I've delivered on so far. Uh, the county council... Uh, wasn't an option that I could go for. My uncle Keelan lives three doors up from me. Uh, we're very, we could split that vote. We could split the vote, yeah, but there's, there's other candidates there within with Fianna Fáil there as well, and uh, we have a very good team of county councillors, and uh, it was, wasn't an option that was available to me. In terms of this election, what are the main policies that are coming up on the doorsteps when you're meeting the people out in the bedroom? Yeah, a lot of what we're facing at the moment is uh, the crisis within the beef sector. It's, uh, it's very rural here in County Leitrim and other parts of the constituency, Sligo, North Roscommon and South Donegal, heavily reliant on agriculture. That's coming up on the door. They need to support the suckler farmers. 
it's a big thing. Uh, we can see a, a major decline in the west of Ireland with uh, sucklers at the moment. Uh, we need to reverse that trend and Fianna Fáil are willing and have in their manifesto where we will have a €200 Euro suckler cow premium. Uh, that Explain that to me now because you've lost yeah. me on that one. So Yeah, uh, it's a subsidy. In other words, to produce uh, cattle to the highest quality that we can and support an industry that is, is actually on its knees and in decline. It's very important that people realise that for every one euro that a farmer receives in payments and in sales of livestock and the whole lot creates a multiplier effect four times in the local community. So farming is a big thing with regard to the local community. So you mean that a farmer has an income, therefore he spends money in his He's, shop and yeah. the pub yeah. and he all spends the various... it locally. A far, farmer, it will always tell you, it goes in the left pocket and it goes out the right pocket. It doesn't stay too long with a farmer. <laughs> he, he spends it. In terms of uh, the campaign, talk to us about how the dynamics are going for you because obviously a few things came out of left field that wouldn't have been expected. Fine Gael have lost a couple of candidates and replaced them with, with two other candidates, the original selectees, Jerry Reynolds, who would have been very local to you as well, yeah, Ballinamore, this region. Is that a relief that Jerry's not in the campaign in terms of the, the local geopolitics? Well, not really, because we look at running our own campaign to our own uh, remit. We have a, a system in place that we want to run, and it's working for us. And uh, I'm very happy with that. Uh, sad to see Jerry pull out and Sinead Maguire as well. I know both of them. I've known Jared all my life. Personally, I've grown up with Jared uh, and all his family in Ballinamore. They're good people. Uh, I'm sure Jared has business interests, uh, which he couldn't give any more time to politics for. And I wish Jared the best with all his, uh, and, and Sinead, with their future endeavours. In terms of, you mentioned the, the po policy or the, the, the plan that you have for the, the campaign, I, I want to ask you, because as I look out the window here, we're based in Carrick and Shannon, I look out the window and I see posters for your running mate. Now, normally you would have a, a ge geographical division, which the obvious thing would be to, to give you Leitrim. Is there around the camp that we're seeing posters? I won't name them in this instance, but, but there are running mate posters over my shoulder, you can probably see them as we look out the window. Yeah, I can see them. No, there's no round the camp. Uh, there was a decision, would, would the constituency be split? Uh, it was a kind of a case that we may split it and we may not split it. And uh, the three candidates came together and we decided if it wasn't going to be adhered to, that the boundaries weren't going to be held up, that we'd have open country and the three candidates were quite happy with that. Is that in the best interest of Fianna Fáil or of the individual candidates? Eh, here, everyone's looking for votes every place, so I think it's in the best interest of each candidate. But Fianna Fáil as a whole, eh, I don't think we have any problem with the way it's going. What is the, the main issues that you're hearing? I, I know I've asked you to yeah. talk about agriculture, but are there anything else that's coming up? With housing, one-off housing is a massive, massive problem. Uh, we see it now. I think it's only two houses last year were uh, granted planning permission in County Leitrim, maybe three. Uh, it's a massive, massive issue. What we're seeing here now is we can... I heard described last night at an IFA meeting of hustings in, in Sligo as rural genocide. I think it's a strong word, but it's very close to the point of what's going on. Uh, we're losing our communities. Our communities are dying on our feet, and it's because of one-off housing. We're losing our GA clubs. Brefney, as you know yourself, several GA clubs in this county are amalgamating at underage level. Even town teams are amalgamating with rural teams because they cannot put out teams. Uh, we're having a situation where we're losing our post offices. We're losing our schools. We're losing teachers in our schools. 
And what's happening here is the whole fabric of rural Ireland has been tore up and decimated. And in County Leitrim, it's all down to one-off planning because you cannot expect young people to stay on the land and farm and maybe drive 15 mile, 10 mile to their local town where they might only get rented accommodation because there is a lack of a housing supply of quality houses to purchase where they could be living on their farm next door to their parents, contributing to the rural community where they grew up and where they want to live. In terms of what's actually workable on that though, because we, we all want to see it, it easier for people to build houses where they want in the countryside, but there are certain issues that need to be circumvented and the cost of those in terms of sewerage and all of those other yes. um, supplies and services is an issue uh, for one-off housing. What's actually workable on that, though? What can Fianna Fáil do if they're elected to actually make that, to reverse that trend? Yeah, well, there, Martin Kenny had brought a bill to uh, government that hadn't gone through, who was supported by uh, my colleagues in, within Fianna Fáil, and it got cross-party support. It just hasn't gone through. Uh, what we have to look at there is moving forward with a system that's going to work for everyone, not just a few. There are systems available throughout Europe, uh, for our type of soil that are approved but the EPA in Dublin doesn't want to adhere to um, those rules for County Leitrim. We've seen it before I was at an IFA meeting uh, some months back, maybe 12 months back in the Bush Hotel and Minister Creek came down uh, he brought his top table with him and he brought a gentleman from the EPA who showed us a beautiful slideshow of a lovely cottage with lovely cows around it and a few sheep around it and told us this is how we had to live and I stood up at that meeting and I said I said Minister I think you're very foolish to bring a fool down to supply a fool's urn to people who are not fools I said the EPA are the reason why we cannot get this planning through in County Leitrim and what is happening when we are getting our not getting our planning through is we're leaving what's going to happen is land abandonment and what's going to happen then is forestry. Like, I do not mind a farmer planting a section of his land with native hardwood species, broadleaf species. I have no problem with that. But I have a big problem with this monoculture pine that we are getting now, which spruce that has been pushed upon us. I have in my possession a, a reply to a dull question from the EPA with regard to the pollution on our water courses from forestry. 16% of all water bodies in Ireland and we have to remember, some areas are heavily afforested and some have very, very little afforestation. But 16% of all water bodies, streams, lakes and rivers are polluted directly because of forestry. Now, I believe if that study was done in County Leitrim, it would be a lot, lot higher. I think there is a study being done. We're recording this on Thursday, but tomorrow night, uh, Friday, which will be before this airs, so people won't be able to go along. There is actually a launch by Save Leitrim or is it lovely from uh, on Friday night in the Bush save, Hotel? Save Leitrim, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so it's, it's um, I think that's going to be part of that. So I think that study has been launched actually as people are listening to this, so they'll be able to find it online. Um, what will success look like for Shane Ellis and for Fianna Fáil going forward in this general election? I hope to be elected. We're getting a very good response on the doors, as I said earlier. I believe people want change, they need change, and I think people would like to see a TD in Leitrim that's going to represent them as regard uh, most likely a government TD because if you do not have a government TD shouting at the top table of government for you through the parliamentary party you're not going to get that into your county 
So I believe that if the people want a TD that's going to be in government with a government party, I think they have to vote for Shane Ellis. Okay, well, Shane, thank you very much for coming in. The very best of luck thank you, in the next uh, week or so. Now, next up, we are going to speak to Frank Feehan of Fine Gael, a former, a current senator, a former TD for the region, and also obviously a councillor in the time before that. So you've been involved in politics for the last 20-odd years as a representative in the general region and now runs for Fine Gael in the upcoming general election. Frank, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Breffney. First of all, is it Frank or Frankie? Well, a bit of both. Um, I call myself Frank now and then, and a lot of most people call me Frankie. So it's Frank or Frankie, and um, sometimes... You've been called a lot worse. Well, I said, and I will be called a lot worse. Let's talk about that 20-odd years, two decades uh, in public service and public life. What has your experience been of being a public representative over the last two decades? I suppose I got into politics by chance. Uh, I had a bar and restaurant in Boyle. I had a news agent's uh, and video shop in Boyle, and I was involved in football clubs and... Chamber of Commerce and I'd be very close to Carrick and Shannon and then in uh, 1999 I was asked would I go for election for the local authority and I got elected in the Boyle electoral area along with uh, Charlie Hopkins uh, Jerry Garvey from Kilmore and Kitty Degnan and John Cummins and um, I was minding my own business and then in 2001 I was asked to go for the general election or the, the convention in the general election in Roscommon Longford at the time I didn't get on the ticket, and um, in 2002, then I was uh, I went for the Senate, and I was in Senate from 2002 to 2007, and uh, 2007 I went uh, for Fine in the general election uh, for the constituency of Roscommon South Leitrim, and indeed it was Leitrim effectively that uh, got me over the line to be in the dial for uh, for the two terms in 2007, 2011. So um, I've enjoyed politics. Um, there was one or two ish times that it wasn't as enjoyable but um, it's great to have an appetite for politics and I realise every morning I get up I'm in a very privileged position of representing the people, being a voice for the people and um, I feel that I'm well placed now to be another uh, strong advocate and a strong voice for the areas of uh, Roscommon, Leitrim, South Donegal uh, and Sligo. In terms of your record I suppose you, you mentioned Roscommon Longford Roscommon South Leitrim now it's Leitrim Sligo that must be a bit of a nightmare as a, as a, as a public representative to be constantly geographically being spread around such a vast area from Bundor and right down to Ballyman I suppose nothing is the same and you're um, but that's just the way it is when you have changing constituencies you have changing demographics and you went from 160 seats to 158 back to 160 so I suppose areas such as this, which don't have a huge population, will always fall in with a bigger area. But um, I've been successful on any time I've ran for general election. You didn't run in 2016. Let's talk a little bit about that because it's linked heavily to, the, I suppose, the Roscommon Hospital situation. What's your whole situation with that at the moment? Well, it was a very difficult time. Uh, the country was in peril. Um, Roscommon Hospital A&E wasn't my issue. Um, but it became an issue and um, I could have walked and uh, people were shouting to resign and walk away but I made the right decision and the decision was uh, to do what was best by medical science to do what was best by what the experts were saying that Roscommon A&E with 10 people using it they are simply unsafe but there was a bigger issue than that and the bigger issue was 
that um, should I have resigned in 2011, um, our country was in peril, it needed a stable government, and I'm so thankful now that I stayed in government, although it was a very, very difficult time, and certainly in County Roscommon it was a different uh, climate than in Leitrim, and I really respect it. I'd walk down the street in Ballinamore or Mohill and Carrick and Shannon, and people would, from all sides, would say, how are you, Frankie? But in Roscommon, they wanted me to resign, and uh, there was a huge difficulty. But now I think deep down now, and the hospital now is, because I stayed in government, we have an air ambulance with advanced paramedics who saved hundreds of lives. You see it in County Leitrim and all over. We have the endoscopy in Roscommon. A lot of people from Leitrim now are going to uh, uh, Roscommon to get routine procedures. We're now going to have the, uh, the, the rehab, which is rehab for the west of Ireland from Dunleary. And there's so much happening in Roscommon Hospital. Uh, there's over 500 people employed in the hospital. But more and most importantly, patients are lives, uh, patients are safer and lives are being saved. And um, the only problem with Roscommon Hospital, I laugh now, is that um, it's so busy now, there's no car parking. And I suppose I'm responsible for that as well. But, um, you know, because I stayed in government, I was able to get a new primary care centre in, in Boyle and Ballinamore and a new school in Ballinamore. But I was able to ensure there was a stable government. I was able to deliver the people of, of the constituency in five very difficult years. Let's talk about Fine Gael for a moment, because locally it's been a tumultuous probably 12 months for the, for the party in the region. They selected two candidates. They're not the two names we now get to vote on. Is Fine Gael in trouble in the region in terms of how it's structured, or, or was that just too freak? Decisions well, it, made by the two candidates themselves. It's unprecedented. Um, I supported uh, Jerry Reynolds at the convention uh, a year and a half ago. Um, in fairness, South Leitrim supported me, so we were in Northwest Common. So, and it was a wonderful night. It was we had two excellent candidates. Jerry Reynolds was well placed in South Leitrim, Northwest Common, and South Sligo. And Sinead Maguire, who is from um, um, <coughs> North Leitrim or from East West Cavan. She was well placed, and then Jerry Reynolds stepped down, and I felt I was in a great position to take over from him, and he's given me huge support. And um, then Sinead McGuire stepped down, so this is unprecedented. And Thomas Walsh, who's a very good candidate as well from Ballygawley, um, has gone in there. So, um, yeah, it hasn't been the ideal preparation for a general election, but we've two good candidates. We're working together. I have a, a record of delivering for the constituency. I'm up for. Uh, this election and uh, I feel that uh, I can deliver again in in government. How has the reaction been on the doors? The reaction's been very, very good. I think people realise the work I've done. I never stopped working, uh, even when I wasn't going for the general election since 2012, 2000 working. 2000, my office is in uh, Boyle. I've had an office in Ballinamore and I've had been a wonderful pleasure to, to deal as an Oireachtas member in government. And I'd like to think working with the councillors on the ground as well in County Leitrim, we certainly have a, a, a record of delivery that's second to none. As we're speaking to you today, the show goes out to, on Saturday, but we're speaking on Friday evening. It's the day that Brexit comes into uh, effect legally. You were quoted last year as asking, could Ireland consider rejoining the Commonwealth? Is that something that you'd seriously consider as if you were back <coughs> in government after the general election? Well, there's no votes out of it, uh, but it's, I, I have a huge interest. I've always had a huge interest in east-west and in, uh, in north-south relations. Um, I come from a very Republican background. My grandfather, James Feely, was commander of the IRA in North Roscommon. And, and he, 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 you know, so I, I, I believe the people fought for freedom in this country 
but we set up institutions and we defended institutions in very, very difficult times. But I think we have to look, if we want to unite our people, we want to have a united Ireland, um, we have to think outside the box. And I was chair of the Good Friday Agreement in Leinster House. I'm still involved with Good Friday Agreement. So I've been in every town, city and village in the island of Ireland and certainly Northern Ireland. I visited uh, dissident Republicans in Macquarie Prison. I've seen loyalist prisoners. So, and I've, I've met all the various uh, nationalists and anybody from Sinn Féin or SDLP or Ulster Unionist Party, the DUP, or the Alliance Party would actually say that Frank Feehan is, is independent. Uh, I'm able to work with all the various parties. And I think, you know, I genuinely want to unite our country. I genuinely want to unite Ireland. But I don't think people fully understand, you know, we're uniting our country. There will be, have to be a lot of, I won't say sacrifices, but there has to be, it's not a one-way street. And, it, it, you know, if we want to invite one million unionists who think differently to us, have a different historical narrative to us, well, then we have to be prepared to stand up and welcome them, but also understand uh, their history, understand um, uh, their be- their beliefs, and understand um, that they have a different view to a United Ireland than we have. In terms of your life since the last general election that you stood in, which was 2011, you've had a lot of developments there as well. You've become a father in that time, in your 50s, which is... Uh, no fair achievement. Yeah, I'm so thankful. Um, I was in my office in 2012, and um, I, uh, next thing, um, my wife, who teaches uh, the home economics teachers in St Andrews, came into my office because there was a threat at St Andrews College, which is down in Loch Gill and Sligo, was due to be closed. And um, I think I kept uh, helped keep the uh, the, um, the school open. And seven years later, we're married with two children, and we're so thankful. And it gives it gives me a new uh, outlook in life and I suppose I'm much more relaxed in politics uh, there's a much more important uh, aspect of my life and there are two children, two wonderful children Francesca who's three and Magdara who's three months and I'm so fortunate and so thankful to be in that situation and um, so yeah um, I, I, it, uh, I'm so thankful, my wife is so thankful and we're so blessed uh, to have two wonderful children Every candidate who comes in here has spoken about how tired they are as they near the last week of the campaign. It can't be easy with a three-month-old in the House. No, and uh, I suppose the Frank Feehan that was there 20 years ago isn't there now. You, you have to try to balance family life. Uh, but I'm very fortunate that you know it, it must be much, much difficult if I was a mother of young children trying to go for election. You were the Director of Elections for Maria Walsh in the MEP elections last year. Do you enjoy the cut and thrust of the election circus? Um, I think most politicians would tell you they don't really look forward to elections, but when they happen, you give it your best foot forward. And there's a lot of members of all the various parties who have great enthusiasm, have a great loyalty to their candidate, but great respect for other candidates and other parties. And um, so we're out there, we're there. I've been going now since last July. Uh, in a, an election mode when the election was called two and a half weeks into it now you know the next seven days are going to be hugely significant and hopefully you can get momentum to get you over the line um, but uh, I think when the election is over the people will have spoken uh, the people are sovereign and uh, you hope that um, that they decide to vote for you but um, uh, yeah I, 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 just one aspect that I've noticed you see a Facebook out there and you see real life. And Facebook doesn't reflect on real life. I've, I've gone to doors 
in the last four or five weeks and not one person has insulted me. Um, you really appreciate that. People say, look, I'm not voting Fine Gael or I'm, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not happy about pensions or health or something else, but you can have a good discussion with them at the doorstep and you can listen. But it, it shows how fundamentally sound the Irish people are and the Irish electorate are. And that's one thing I, I'm really thankful for. But um, as I said, if you're looking at Facebook and you see some of the comments, you kind of wonder what kind of people are out there. But they're not living in this constituency or maybe they're hiding behind a keyboard. But I'm not seeing it at the door. I know most of the, my colleagues who are from all parties are of the same opinion. In terms of the general election, what will success look like for Frankie Fehan and Fine Gael when all the dust settles? I hope I get elected. Um, I believe I have a lot to offer. Uh, I was on the front bench in uh, Fine Gael in 2010. Uh, we've been in government for nine years. I'm the only member out that front bench out of 21 that has never been Taoiseach minister or junior minister. Um, I, I, I believe that you know my, my, my career was impacted by the Roscommonini issue um, and I believe now I, I'm well placed if elected to serve in government serve either as junior minister or senior minister and I believe that's what this constituency needs. Now, in the mainstream media around the country, we've heard a lot about this green surge through the local elections and the national elections, but there's been a caveat that it doesn't work in rural Ireland. When someone who's hoping to put that to rights is Blohine Gallagher, who's running as a green candidate in this general election. Blohine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brefney. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming in. Let's talk about that green surge over the last, I suppose, four or five years. It's been building nicely and it came to fruition last year in the general election when the Greens seemed to be the party making all of those advances in the cities. Your job now, I suppose, is to, to reflect that in the, the rural part of the of the country. How has the, the reception been in the campaign so far? Well, Brefney, the reception has been really good um, so far. People recognise that there is a climate emergency and that our biodiversity is at serious risk. So they want to make change. Of course, there are uh, people who are scaremongering about the Green Party being the enemy of rural Ireland. I would never have joined the Green Party, nor would I ever have canvassed on their behalf or run as a candidate if I thought they were the enemy of rural Ireland. I am part of rural Ireland and rural Ireland is part of me. So I firmly believe the Green Party is the friend to the farmer in this part of the country and to all others who live here, because, of course, it's not just a farming community. Without the farmers, the community would be sorely um, at a loss. But we are a bigger community and we all want to work together to bring life back into the rural villages and rural towns. They have been seriously neglected over decades and decades of the same powers in government. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been in since the foundation of the state, and this is where we are today. Now, of course, you mentioned you're part of rural Ireland. You're Leitrim born and bred, Mughal originally. You might remind us just a little bit about uh, your family and, and where you come from. Yes, Brefney. It's very hard to say you're born in Leitrim unless you were born at home. Um, so, But, I, that, that I, but I'm true. a Leitrim native, um, reared in Mughal. My father was the local vet there, and we had a farm. We grew up with our own vegetables, our own meat, our own milk, our own butter, um, we grew up in a town that was absolutely thriving. It was a busier town than Carrick and Shannon when I was growing up. On the main street of the town, there were over 200 children living. Now my mother's one of the few who are left on that um, main street. There are a few other families. 
um, the people in the countryside who had lots to, of produce to bring in and share and sell on the streets of Mohol, they don't even have the money to spend in shops now. So we have to bring back life into our towns. We have to bring back people into our towns. And I grew up the middle child of nine, which makes me a good negotiator and a good uh, mediator. I actually did a qualification in mediation as well. But um, the, the reason I bring that up is because when you get into Parliament, one of the things we will have to do is be able to negotiate for rural Ireland and do it and fight the big boys. So I'm hoping that I could be that voice for rural Ireland and for this part of the country where I love. I came back here to live. I brought my children up here and I want my children to be able to come back and live here and live in a thriving economy. We don't need to be rich. We just need to have a good quality of life. And that's what we're about in the Green Party is improving the quality of life for all. You talked about being a voice for rural Ireland. You have done that for the last decade or so in your role as editor of the Leitrim Guardian. How how much has that given you an awareness of how people in the county are thinking and what they're really looking for out of their public representatives? Well, it's it's as you know, briefly, the, the Leitrim Guardian is not political in any way. And if you had asked me about a year and a half ago would I be running for politics, I would have told you you were off your head. But I... I, it was, so it wasn't really the Leitrim Guardian, but the Leitrim Guardian teaches me the community uh, spirit that's in this county. We have people doing things for nothing all over this county, improving their society and not getting any recognition for it. And we need to start harnessing that energy and valuing it, because when you put a value on it, you value people and you also then improve the community. The Leitrim Guardian is an absolutely amazing publication. I'm so, so proud to be associated with it. I mean, every year I say, OK, I can't do it anymore because life is just so busy. But when the 50th edition happened and we were, there was a fear that it would not exist anymore, I just... I couldn't see that happen. It would be like a part of my childhood was gone. So uh, together with the committee, we fought and kept it going. And, you know, we've had it out this year and it was really successful. I think it's a great archive for Leitrim people to look back and see what they've achieved. I mean, if you think of Michael Fox, our founder, he was an ordinary man, a Garda, who just wanted to show Leitrim people how they could build their self-esteem and their self-confidence. And that's what we need to do because... You're much younger than me, Brefty, but I grew up with the butt of the jokes people would say to you when you say you're from Leitrim. I know, I got where, that too. Where, where are you from? Where? What county is that in? So me I just in the turkey it, saying it didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so um, we're, I think we've we've beautiful people here, we're, and it's great to bring people back because when they come here, they realise the warmth and the welcome that you get here. You can nearly walk into a stranger's house in this county and put on the kettle and make a cup of tea for yourself and they'd sit down and chat with you. As long as you made a cup of tea for them yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> in terms of the farmers, let's talk about some of the issues that you would find on the doorstep. What are the main issues that you've been getting? Because you'll obviously attract a lot of people who want to talk about the environment. Maybe Greta Thunberg gets mentioned a good bit on the doorstep. What have you been finding from the voters of the county? People, People are are concerned about the climate, they're concerned about biodiversity, but most of all they're concerned about their their own survival economically. Um, we have to look at the, the farmers, the farming family farm is going to be decimated unless we do something. So we have to find a way to pay farmers for the great work they do. And in the Northwest, the farmer has not moved far from traditional practice. So I don't think it would be too difficult to bring them back into carbon sequestration. I mean, look at the hedgerows they have. Look at the grassland. I mean, the grassland isn't great, but the grass that we have in the ground is a carb good carbon sequester. 
Um, you're going to have to explain that to me now because you've said it okay. twice and I don't know what it means. Okay. So carbon sequestration. So, so in our soil and in our grass and in our trees, we store carbon. There's, there are carbon sinks. Bogs, for example, are carbon sinks. There was a, uh, a man last night was at a talk and he was talking about the 15 centimetre depth of bog land is equal to the same in a rainforest. I mean, that's quite amazing when you think about that. And we're cutting down rainforests across the world to, to, to grow beef, to bring beef into Ireland. I mean, how crazy is that? When I was growing up, we had potatoes, vegetables and everything else. Do you, do you know, Breffney, how many potatoes we're bringing into the, important into this country every year? Oh, I have no idea, but it's got to be in the billions. No, it's about 78,000 tonnes of potatoes in a country oh, yeah, that survived you on don't potatoes. You the individual yeah. potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you do, but I wasn't yeah. doing that. But you, if you look at that and you think, we grew potatoes growing up. Why are we doing that? Something is wrong. Somebody's making money, and I can tell you, the farmers will tell you it is not them. There are some very big businesses making a lot of money out of the farmer, but the farmer's not getting the money back. In terms of what you've been finding at the doors, in terms of support, um, the Green Party, as you mentioned at the top, haven't found the best experience in rural Ireland, and Leitrim is no exception to that. Uh, the previous general elections have been small in terms of a Green Party vote. Do you see that growing in this general election? I, I hope people have listened to me. I've been at the IFA and I've been at the INHFA meetings and I spoke there about how the Green Party can be the friend to the farmer because we are the ones who see that you need to make a change in rural Ireland and pay the ordinary farmer for what they're doing. Last night I said to them, why are you being lumped in with the big farmers with a thousand herd of cattle and you expect to reduce your herd the same way? That's not possible. There has to be a separation and we have to look at people. I mean, the current government has stopped convergence, convergence being how much farmers get paid for their land. Um, and the Green Party would propose that we would start with um, a flat rate per hectare up to uh, maybe 10 hectares and then front loading. Um, and that would mean that there would be a, a more fair payment. Do you know the average farmer, especially in this area, is living on about 9,000 to 10,000 euros per annum, whereas the bigger farmers are getting hundreds, well, up to 100,000 in some cases. So there needs to be a cap on that and the money needs to be spread fairly across people who are working hard. But most farmers now nearly have to have a second job just to live. In terms of options, and because we know that the, the Green Party support the reduction of the suckler herd, the suckler herd, and that is going to be a huge impact for the suckler farmers of County Leitrim, where there are plenty. In terms of options that exist at the moment for those farmers with their animals, with their land, what are they there? What are the Green Party proposing to give as an option for that suckler farmer who maybe can't afford to take that hit in a herd? Well, well for a start, um, we need to start paying for quality produce. And we need to have a niche, uh, we need to have a niche product. But also we can pay farmers for maybe planting some woodland, native woodland. They could go into agroforestry where the cattle can shelter or the sheep can shelter under the, under the forest. There's lots of different options there, but farmers need to be paid and they need to be paid a proper amount of money for being guardians of our land because that's what they are. What would success look like for Blowing Galler and the Green Party locally and nationally at the end of this campaign? Success would be, uh, we're running 39 candidates. The majority of our candidates are actually in rural areas. And I, a success for me would be, we know we will, we will do well in the urban areas. Success for me would be getting several 
rural TDs elected and bringing the rural voice up to the doll because the urban part of the party is very, very supportive of rural Ireland. They realise that rural Ireland is the fabric of the country and it's not just Dublin. So success, of course, for me would be me being one of the four that's returned to the doll and making people proud here that they did give me their number one vote. It's not realistic from where the base is at the moment from the last general election and the local elections? There's a lot of work to be done, but the Green Wave may help that. <clears throat> but people are sick of the politics that are going on. If people want same old, same old, they're going to get the same old, same old. If people want to change, they need to vote for change, and I can be part of that change. Blocking Galler, thank you so much for dropping in. Have a chat with us. Thanks very much, Breffney. Now, one of the last candidates to declare that they were running for a seat in Sligo Leitrim was independent politician Marion Harkin, a former MEP and a former TD in the, well, in the general area. I can't remember if it was specifically this constituency or not, but uh, well-known politically around the region. Formerly of Manor Hamilton, now residing in Sligo, her native Sligo. Marion, welcome to the programme. Thank you. Welcome back to the local politics or the, the Irish politics after a bit of a sojourn in Brussels. You probably don't need much of an introduction to some people, but tell us a bit about who you are and, and how you found yourself here. My name is Marion Harkin, formerly Gilmartin, from a place called Ballantrohar, which is just about two miles from the Leitrim border, quite close to Drumahair. I lived my life there. I went to school in Trevor Curry. I then taught for many years in the Mercy in Sligo. And then my late husband, Sean Harkin, from Killargy, he opened a business, a shop, in Manor Hamilton and of course we as a family moved out there and that's where I got introduced to community development and volunteering and I became chairperson of the North Leitrim Glens, we set it up and uh, from that I moved to developing the West together and I still remember every single month the Leitrim core group up to Drumcairn with Father Kelly was there at the time and reps from all over Leitrim and we fed into developing the West together and that's where my interest in politics was sparked because nobody in my family or my late husband's family had ever any involvement so it was through that and I suppose after that I could see the the European ideal of growing the regions and that's where the phrase balanced regional development comes from. What that means in simple language is that the regions get their fair share. And actually even this week, the Taoiseach himself, Leo Varadkar said, we don't have balanced regional development. Every party promises it, it's in all the manifestos, but it hasn't been delivered and I've seen it for 30 years. So that's what brings me here to this point. I looked at this for the last 12 months. I retired from the European Parliament in July, but for six, nine months before that, I've been talking to other independents. I think there is an appetite out there that perhaps after the election, we might be able to pull together a number of rural, uh, regional independents and that they could be, have a real influence on policy in the next government. Now, it's important I say to your listeners, there's no guarantees on that.
but I've spoken to a lot of independents, I've worked with many of them, canvassed with them, different elections, especially in the West, and I think there's an appetite for that. So that's why I decided, I thought there is a chance, maybe, just maybe, we can have a real influence on getting our fair share to the regions as of right. Now with our hand out looking for what's left over, and if that chance is there, I certainly want to be part of it. They say you should dress for the job you want, not the job you have, and you're speaking as if you're already elected. Are you that confident that, that this is going in the right direction for you? Oh, absolutely not. I always say, votes come in ones, no matter what election you run in. Yes, we're getting, you know, a warm welcome on the doorsteps, but a general election is different to a European. Uh, European, if you get a warm welcome, you probably get a vote. General is different. Votes are much tighter, harder to get. People value their votes, and rightly so. Uh, and you have to ask for them. Uh, but look, I've thrown my hat in the ring. We're doing our very best, canvassing, talking to people, getting our message across. And I hope to be elected. And, you know, sometimes... There's an opportunity there. You have a choice. I took the choice of of running because I think there is something important that can be done. Now, one of the things that's been in the papers for the last few weeks is the story about pensions and, of course, the story about changing the age from uh, people yeah. have to retire at 65 and don't their pension won't kick in until 68. Now, you fall into that age category. So the next question, and I want to come back to pensions later on, but I also want to talk to you about, at your stage in life, you've retired from politics last year, retired from uh, as an MEP. Why are you going back? Why do you need this hassle on yourself? Because, as I said... I think there's an opportunity there to change how we do things. And we've had these promises. We've had the spatial strategy. We've had the CEDRA report. Before that, we had the Buchanan report talking about the regions getting their fair share of investment, of jobs, of road spend, and now, of course, crucially, broadband. And we need in this part of the world in particular, to look at how we can sustain agriculture and food production, which is on its knees. And I believe if there isn't a rural focus and a regional focus, that it'll slip through the cracks again. I can't guarantee to any of your listeners that I will deliver that, but I can guarantee that if I get elected... I will do my very best, either as an individual, but my preference would be, as part of a grouping, to influence government policy. Now, you talked about the balanced regional development. There will be an argument that that has improved, not in the last 30 years, but has improved in the last recent years. I know the advent of the Blue Way, the Food Hub, other other developments like that around the county Leitrim is really on the up at the moment, particularly if you pick a town like Drumshambo. We've talked about it lots on the programme here. Is it fair to say that nothing has happened? Drumshambo is a town of contrast. I was there recently and it was in the food hub. And it's a huge success. And one of the companies I was talking to was Magnifs Boxty. And in fact, the last time I was in the hub was with a number of Boxty producers from Leitrim and Cavan and about 
five, six years ago, I started a project to get, uh, you know, geographical status recognition, what they call PGI for Boxty. It's still ongoing and I hope it'll be successful. And the likes of Drum Shambo, you know, depends a great deal on food production and agriculture uh, that feed into the town. I'm going to the march tomorrow night. I've been, as I said, I was in Ballymote today talking to farmers who had just come out from the march. Less than 100 head of cattle at that march. I mean, if we don't support the suckler trade through uh, making sure that the export markets are extended, not just maintained, and proper you know, prices paid to farmers, because farmers are businessmen and women, and they want to get a price for what they produce. And while, yes, we can give them €200 euro a head, and that will be most welcome and is necessary, nonetheless, we also have to look to see how can we, uh, you know, ensure that farmers in Leitrim see farming as a viable option. Because some of the farmers that I talk to, and I've been talking to them for over 30 years since I was chair of the Council for the West, and I said to you earlier, I am seeing, and I hate to say this, but I'm seeing a certain hopelessness. Not that they'll go out of business today, or maybe 12 months, but will they be there in five years? And the real hopelessness is, Who's going to take over? Nobody will. Allied that to the plantations of, of Sitka, which are, you know, threatening to overwhelm, and in some cases have overwhelmed communities. And you see why there is that sense out there. So what will success look like in the general election for Marion Harkin? Well, first of all, you have to be elected, and, you know, I'm out there, like every other candidate, hoping that I, I will be, then that's difficult. But what's ten times as difficult is then managing, hopefully, to be part of a grouping of rural TDs who would form part of the next government, whoever of the main parties have the most seats. Uh, I have no red lines on that. And being part of that and having a real influence from a rural perspective... If, if that were achieved and that we could change things in that direction, it won't solve all of the problems. And I meet people every day on the canvas, and I love canvassing, because really, you meet people, and you know something? You listen to people, and you get a sense of, of you know, the reality, um, some of the stuff you miss. Uh, so I can't solve all of those problems but what we could do is I said earlier as of right get our fair share to these regions so that we're not looking with the hand out to see what's left over when other regions have got their share and that to me from day one I talked about developing the west together that's where I started that's where I go back to and that's why I decided you know, I've retired from the European Parliament 15 years, 15 counties. Sometimes I was running to stand still over and back to Brussels every week. And I thought, if there's a chance of this, if I thought there was no chance of this, I wouldn't run. I'd leave it to someone else. You mentioned 15 years in Brussels, mm -hmm. and I suppose there is a rumour that's been circulating round about 
you're, that you're in this for financial reasons, that you've got <laughs> pensions coming out of every pot going. Uh, talk to us about your, your fi- the financial reality of, of your pension situation. Well, first of all, as an independent, I finance an election campaign. I don't fundraise. I never ask anyone for money. So, you know, to, to actually finance a campaign is costly. But that's what I decided to do. Pensions. I've not spoken about this for 11 years since 2009 because it was my own business. But it has come to my attention. I thought it was just one political party, but now I discovered it's two because maybe they think it's a good way to get at me. They're going round door to door and saying, Marion Harkin has, it started at two, it increased to three, and now they're going around saying I have four pensions. Well, let me tell you. Since 2009, and I was the first MEP to do it, some followed suit and some did not. I returned my pension to the Irish state. I have, I'm carrying them with me, five certificates in my handbag, and I have it on emails on my phone from the Department of Finance saying that I gifted over €220,000 to the Irish state. Because, do you know why? I believed I had a good salary. I had good expenses. Other people were paying pension levies. We had the crash. And I looked around me and I thought, do you know, I'm not going to take this. I did that for six years. And for the last five, I gave money to carers and some disability groups over 15 counties. Now, I'm not talking about this now except for the fact that there's vicious, untrue rumours circulating throughout the constituency about Marianne Harkin going for another pension. That is simply not the case. And what I have promised to do is if I am elected, whatever pension the Irish state pays me for my work in Europe, whatever it is, I, I don't even know what it might be. Whatever it is, I will give it to carers' groups, just like I have been, and every year I'll put it on my website so that people can see it. You know something? I hated talking about this. My canvassers pushed me and said, Marion, you must address it. I never spoke about it in 11 years because it was what I was doing, because I thought it was the right thing. But I've got to the point where too many people are coming up to me, and it angers me hugely, and I'll tell you why. Because they know it's not true. And that kills me. And it's just an attempt to try and paint me as somebody and not. I'm far from perfect. But that's what I have done with my pensions. And that's what I'll continue to do. Well, listen, Marion, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for dropping in. And uh, the very best luck over the next week in the build-up to the general election next Saturday. Thank you very much. It's, uh, as I said to you earlier... I love being on the canvas. You get great energy and enthusiasm, and I'm sure you hit that, hear that from all the, the other contestants in this race. Thank you. It's great to talk to you, and hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again. Now, from Leitrim point of view, it's always great to have representation in the doll. God knows it's been too often that we haven't had a Leitrim representative in Dáil Éireann, but for the last three and a half, four years, we have had that in the shape of Sinn Féin's Martin Kenny, and he joins me now. Martin, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning. 
you're, it's a pleasure to have you with me for the, the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, we're going to talk about all things Sinn Féin and all things general election. And obviously, first of all, how have the last few years been in Dáil Éireann? Well, they've been busy, and uh, I suppose it takes a little while to get your, you know, to know the run of the place and know what's happening and how it all works. And at this stage, I've, I'm pretty well settled in. I understand how it works. I've brought forward several pieces of legislation. Uh, one of the first ones I brought forward was in regard to a rural proofing bill, which would be for every piece of legislation that would come through Leinster House that we would look at how it would impact it would have on rural Ireland and to make sure it wouldn't have a negative impact on rural Ireland. Because I'm very conscious that uh, places like Leitrim, particularly, and indeed the whole Northwest, many of the policies that happen are very centred around Dublin or around the East Coast and they can have a negative impact here without if you like, the, the proposers of that legislation or the government realising it, and we need to mitigate against that, and sometimes it requires uh, a, a special amount of, of, of additional funding and additional resources been put into areas which don't have uh, the capacity to, to work themselves as they would have in other areas where they have more resources. How have you found that from being probably the most rural part of the country, if we're honest about it, one of the most disadvantaged areas? Yeah. Brexit coming in on top of that has probably yeah. thrown another spanner in the works. How do people treat you when, when you're up there? Are you one of the gang? Are you one of the of the, the people who kind of get uh, stuff done? I mean, what, what I try to do in, in all cases is I try to be on good terms with everyone, whether it's the ministers or it's political opponents or whatever else. I, I always try to be on good terms with them and I always try to build up a relationship. And in many cases, I have done that. Now, having said that, um, there has been resistance and even that bill I'm talking about didn't get through and other um, issues that I've raised around, for instance, I had I have a bill there on, on rural septic tanks on the, the problem with rural planning in Leitrim, which is a huge problem. And while it's got some of the distance, it's also been blocked by government and, and you know, I'm hoping that in the next term, if I get back, that I'll be able to pursue that and, and get it over the line. But in general, I have to say that I have found that it has been a huge experience. It has been a place where, where I know that you can achieve things, that something can happen there that will affect people's lives here and affect them positively, and I'm determined to make that happen in the next four years or five. This week, the Sinn Féin Manifesto was published and launched. It took a bit of a hammering from some of the... Uh, opposition yeah, the usual parties, suspects, which yeah. you would expect no. in in terms of the word dangerous was thrown around a little bit yeah. in terms of from a Leitrim person's point of view who's sitting down here maybe not quite aware of all of that hoo-ha about manifestos and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff what are the main things in there for for Leitrim people to be aware of huge investment in our health service uh change in how we manage our health service we have layers of managers managing managers uh, making sure that we get frontline services in place, making sure that we have positive discrimination for regions like the Northwest and Sligo Leitrim and places like that where we need to see it. Uh, a huge housing building programme, which is, while we don't have the crisis that we have in the cities here in, in places like Leitrim or the Northwest, we do have people who are homeless and people contact my office regularly who are staying with friends and surf couching and stuff like that. Or Sorry. You know, getting getting around, trying to, trying to, to manage and, and not getting... Um, a place of their own that they can call their own home and you know we have we have a proposal there for to build an awful lot of houses 100,000 houses over the next five years which will be social and affordable housing and we want to bring that home to people we want to ensure that we the employment that that generates is employment for people to live here in this country and we also want to bring jobs into the northwest we want to we want to regionalize the economy that everything that's been built at the moment like LinkedIn is building a massive big operation in Dublin at the moment where people can't afford to live where it's really congested the like of that should be come to places like Sligo where we have the infrastructure in place where there is place for people to live where the quality of life is better that's what we need to see happen well, you mentioned Sligo now I'm interested that you didn't mention Carrick and Shannon yeah, and not Carrick just from a local well. point of view 
But is the housing stock in Carrick and Shannon an issue for projects like that? It's it's somewhat, but not really. Uh, I suppose the reason I mentioned Carrick and Shannon because that's a very big project. Uh, having said that, you know Carrick and Shannon has done well recently, and there has been some uh, you know employment opportunities have opened up in a number of different places here. But there's more to be done, and I think one of the things we need to do is is get uh, sectors of the larger companies to put to put parts of their business down here, and that's what I'm hoping to do. Even in Ballinamore as well, we see a project there for. To, to uh, build an office space there, which we'd be hoping will bring about 100 jobs to Ballinamore. And indeed, we see the same here in Carrick and Shannon, where there's opportunities for to do that. Many of the companies are interested in remote working, in people who, for instance, their, their payroll sector of their company could be sourced somewhere outside of Dublin where rents are cheaper, where, where it's cheaper for them to rent the space, but it's also cheaper for the workforce to rent accommodation or for to live. And that's the type of, of, of vision that I would see that we could bring jobs back into the regions. I think where we're sitting here in the hive is a the hive example. is a typical example, absolutely. You mentioned Ballinamore, and I don't want to bring up all the hoo-ha of last yep. year, but let's just touch on it closely because it does have an effect on this year's election because you're now looking for votes. Mm-hmm. And Ballinamore is a Sinn Féin stronghold. Yep. It always has been. The the issues around the asylum seekers arriving into Ballinamore, you took a very principled stand on that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to affect you at the ballot box? Uh, look, there's some people who voted for me before may not vote for me this time, and that's fine. You know, that, that's that's their individual choice. There's other people who didn't vote for me before who will, and some of them because of that. So you know, it, it works both ways. And I, I look, I mean, I I took a position because I felt it was the correct position. Uh, I think it was very regrettable the way it went, and I think that the whole issue of, of, of moving to protest and blockade rather than going down the route of, of negotiation and working out a solution, because the truth is the, the, the asylum seekers were going to come, and it was about managing that property, and that's what I sought to do. And the accommodation they were going to is very good accommodation and is a step away from the old model of direct provision that people are, are so critical of, and I am so critical of. This was a better system, and I think it will be seen in the future that it was a much better system. You know, I, I do often think of, of um, 1930s in Mohol, there was a huge protest against jazz music, you know, and <laughs> there 3,000 people at it. And when we look back now, we say, what was all that about? And I think into the future, the next generations will look back at this situation and say, what was all that about? Sometimes they say that politicians, when they make a stand like that on a point of principle, that it can come back to bite them. Would you have any regrets if it did cost you your seat? No. Good, good to hear. And another issue that's been in the news over the last few weeks locally is the withdrawal of your running mate, Chris McManus. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about why Sinn Féin have decided to go with a one-party strategy or why Chris has withdrawn from the election? Well, I suppose, first of all, we had a local election in, in May of last year, and that election didn't go as well for us as we had anticipated in many areas around the country, and we, we lost we even lost seats here in Leitrim. And our vote went down in many areas. And conscious of that coming into a general election, while you're always trying to you know, be, be positive and, and, and put forward the best foot possible, in a four-seat constituency, it, the analysis was that it was very unlikely we were going to take two seats. So therefore, if we were only going to take one seat, it was considered by the party headquarters that it would be more sensible for to look at that being a single candidate strategy. And uh, we discussed that, and Chris discussed that, and he came to the conclusion that it was better for him to step back in this occasion uh, because me being the, the, the sitting TD had a better chance of making sure that we hold that seat. And that's, you know, the, the right thing to do. If I were in his position, I'd have done the same thing. If, if he were the TD and I were the one that were, were his running mate, I would have stepped back. So, you know, we, we're, we do the right thing when we can, but I feel that it has been the correct decision. and getting a great response all over Sligo and South Donegal and that, that whole region and people are, are actually stopping on the street and coming to me. You know,
know, they know me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a figure that people recognise instantly. So that's that's been all positive. And I suppose being a TD for four years, I've had a good bit of media exposure as well, has helped in, in the context of all of that. Now, just going through some of the numbers from the last election, because I have made a couple of notes. Uh, Sinn Féin had 17.8% of the total poll last time around. First preferences. You, yeah, and you had 10% of that yourself. So it would indicate that you were the stronger candidate. You obviously went on to be elected. At the local election, that dropped to just under 10%, 9.5%. Yep. And That's again, the point I make. <laughs> yeah, so in, in terms of... But the, the key one for me was you were elected essentially on the three or 3,800 transfer votes of Chris McManus. Are you confident that you'll take them in into a first well, preference? Will many, Sligo people vote for someone who's seen as a Leitrim candidate? Yeah, many of them will. Because uh, like as I just say to people in Sligo, 90% of people who came to me in the clinic or came to us with, with issues or problems in the last four years have either phoned us or contact us via email or Facebook Messenger or some other means. Very few people want to walk into an office and meet you face-to-face or, or have the time to do that. Modern communication has changed that. And when I'm handing somebody a leaflet, I was in Tubber Curry yesterday, you know, and I said to them, you know, I'm in Leitrim, but I'm only a phone call away. That's the distance we are now. That's what modern communications has done. And most people understand that and, and realise that. Uh, in regard to the numbers, yes, I got a large transfer from Chris McManus, but Chris had built up a huge transfer from others at that stage. So a lot of candidates in Sligo had voted number one for Declan Bree or for whoever else, number two for Chris and number three for me. So it's followed on, and I, and I think that situation will, will remain the same on this occasion. So I'd be hopeful, but we also are aware that this is a different election. It's very competitive. Marion Harkin is also in the race, which is a new candidate which is, who, who is popular and who has, has been an MEP for many years. Uh, the other candidates are also vying for, you know, Mark McSharry and, you know, the other candidates in Sligo are, are, are very strong. Uh, Fine Gael is in a little bit of disarray, and um, while many people are in glee with that, they also, when you think about it, have a quota. So we can't, we can't discount that they should be there to take a seat. So, you know, we do recognise that we're under pressure, and that's why we're still running with a single-candidate strategy, and that's why we're looking to get every first-preference vote we possibly can. What would be a sign of success at the end of this for Martin Kenny and for Sinn Féin, locally and nationally? I think, uh, first of all, to get elected. That's the first success. And the second success, I think, would be if we can be in a position for to negotiate a place in government. That's what we really want to do. Uh, I think... Um, this region needs to have uh, a voice at the cabinet table. You know, I'd, I'd look forward, if it was possible, that I could be could be there and could be working for the area to do that. Uh, I think people want change. People recognise we've had 100 years of either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael leading governments. And while that's fine, I think they can have yesterday. We want tomorrow. We want, we want the future, and we want to have a different future. I do look to this decade. We're starting a new decade now. If at the end of this decade, in 10 years' time, we had a health service in this country that we're proud of, if we had childcare services that worked for people and provided a service to families affordable and, and properly remunerated those who worked in them, I think that would be a huge achievement. I think if we had jobs in the Northwest, if our, our, all of our children go away and get degrees and graduate and for, for very good jobs, and yet there's no jobs for graduates or very few in this region, that needs to change. We want to see our children doing better, but when we look at that, we usually see them doing better somewhere else, and I think we need to change that. We also need to, to, to really put uh, a huge emphasis on looking after our communities and families. In other words, it needs to be a decade of different priorities. The priorities shouldn't be insurance companies and corporations and banks. The priorities should be families and workers and, and, and the community. Final question, and just I suppose it's just hist- when you talk about history of tomorrow and yesterday, um, Sinn Fein have links obviously with with the troubles and all of that. Of course, there are a certain anecdotally there are a certain cohort of people who 
have said they won't vote for Sinn Féin yeah. because of those links, historic yeah. or otherwise. Yeah. And there's people who vote for us because of it. Well, I, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so it works both ways. Yeah, so, but how would you, what would you say to a, a voter who says that to you, that, oh, well, I couldn't vote for Sinn Féin because of the links or, or who, like it's, the stuff that come up in the books. Absolutely, I mean, I, I come across them okay, not, not, not as often maybe as the media think we do, but we come across it occasionally. And I suppose what we say to them is, we respect their point of view. You know, that's, that's fine, we understand that. And if they can't give us a first preference vote, think of us somewhere down the line and give us some vote, don't leave us with nothing. There are a whole range of other issues that we're about and that we, we, are, um, we are genuine about what we want to do. We believe a united Ireland is better for everybody in Ireland, including people who have a unionist persuasion. We believe that the future is theirs, that it's about uh, making a new Ireland where we can all unite together, which can be an example to the world of, of prosperity and peace and reconciliation and coming together of things. We believe it will draw a line under the old colonial past that every country in the world, like we talked about asylum seekers a while ago, most of those people come from countries who are former colonies, many of the British Empire, and there are many of the reasons why there's conflicts in their countries now is because of the consequences of their history as well. I do have one more question, and just in relation to the, the attack at your home uh, last year, and at the same time the whole Quinn stuff was happening, and the whole area seemed to be a bit of a, a hot, hot mess really yeah. in terms of that has that all died down now are you secure in your everyday life going around it the place? has it has in general i mean there's a few people on you know keyboard warriors and stuff like that that have have, have issues but i mean in general you know most people are are, are generous and, and and you know well i mean people who don't agree with me we discuss it and we talk it out and that's what should happen but uh, in general it hasn't now the issue of 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 crime and of of, of the crime rates in rural Ireland is an issue and is something that needs to be dealt with. And we need more Gardaí to do that. And we need a community that can trust the Gardaí and can work with the Gardaí. And in many cases, I think that when we go back, I, you know, when I was a child, you, know, you knew your local Gardaí. They lived in your local community. That doesn't happen as much anymore. And I think we need to go back to that. Uh, I think there also needs to be changes in legislation and changes in laws to ensure that we can deal adequately with particularly the people who are in these uh, drug crime and, and, and drug gang type situations, which is really terrorizing communities in many parts of the country and also has an impact uh, in rural Ireland because many of the people who are involved in the kind of crime that we see that like breaking into shops and, uh, and stealing from people and all of that there is a drug element in much of it and I think that's an issue that we need to deal with as a society we need to recognise that if there's going to be a drug habit out there that that drug habit feeds a drug crime gang uh, system in the country which is uh, causing huge problems and, and I think you know we all have to be responsible around that it's also a health issue it's a, it's a social issue and it's a crime issue and I think we need to have a three-pronged approach to deal with it. Okay, well, Martin, thank you very much for dropping in to me. No problem. The very best of luck in your uh, attempts to get re-elected and thank uh, you very hopefully much. it goes I'll say luck is important but I need <laughs> votes as well. <laughs> Now, a candidate in the Sligo Leitrim election for the Aintu party is none other than Anne McCluskey. Anne, welcome to the programme. Thank you, Breffany. And you might tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running for Aintu in Sligo Leitrim. Some of your listeners may be aware of Aintu. We are an all-Ireland um, Republican party which upholds the right to life for every life, for all of life. Um, our sort of strapline is... is life, unity and economic justice. Um, we have members from every political party in Ireland with people who left Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the Greens, Labour, uh, Sinn Féin uh, to join our ranks. And over the last, we've only been in existence for a year. And over that last year, Pader to being our leader and to a much lesser extent, myself, have travelled to every county in Ireland trying to spread the message. 
So while obviously you're not contesting an election without the intention of winning a seat, there's also uh, an important thing to let people hear our message and let them hear the very positive um, plan we have in order to to move this this nation forward. Uh, We regard Ireland as I live in the the north of Ireland, uh, but we now have uh, since Brexit and with our we have a de facto border uh, down the Irish Sea and we are having really useful conversations with unionists from the north and I think that you know certainly now is the time we need to plan for you know Irish unity and I'm not going to put a time limit on it but but those conversations have started and and particularly for for people like me who are from the northwest of the country and who understand the problems that peripherality and poor infrastructure and lack of investment that would resonate so much with your listeners uh, from from the west of Ireland, uh, you know, I, I think that 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 understanding, and we can actually, you know, make a better place for everyone by by an all island economy. Tell tell us a little bit about yourself and your own background and, and why you've got into politics. Yeah, well, I came to certainly electoral politics <laughs> late in life, but I've been a political activist all my life. Uh, I was born in Derry. I remember the earliest days of the civil rights movement uh, and the the conflict that that, that tore our communities apart here. I understand, you know, the the, the sort of the what discrimination and lack of investment, the structured discrimination against particularly my my hometown of Derry. Uh, And I I then worked, um, I studied medicine in University College Dublin back in the day and then worked in, in, in Belfast and before moving back to Derry. And I worked in, in uh, perinatal paediatrics, you know, looking after very, very premature babies. And I suppose it was there that I became a, sort of a, a, a passionate advocate of, of the right to life of, of all of us, because we all started in the same place. Uh, and every one of us, uh, regardless of our gender or our age or our disabilities, uh, has has an entitlement to their, to their place in the planet. What, so I worked then as a GP. Sorry. No, no, go on. Go Continue. Go on. I'm just saying I worked as a GP in, in, in Derry in an area with 60% child poverty. And I'm very acutely aware of, of you know, the mental health issues around children and adolescents. Uh, you know, the, the, the importance of early years provision. I also worked in that interface between uh, children with, with medical problems and disabilities and, and education as a community paediatrician for a while. So, you know, these are problems that aren't unique because of an imaginary line drawn across our country. You know, every community has 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 these issues and 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 entry, I believe, because we are pro-life for all of life, has a, a raft of policies which support families, which support give parents the confidence to raise their children um, with dignity. Uh, you know, these these are the things that 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 we have at the core of our of our political project. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenge. In- I was elected to Darien Stavan District Council for in two, uh, in May of this year. Just so um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping, as I say, to to offer myself. As, as a representative for the Sligo Leitrim area. Now, you mentioned that you're in Straban, Derry. In terms of your connection to Sligo Leitrim, even South Donegal, what's the, the link there, or is it just to have a name on the ballot paper? Well, it, it, well, the, the, the into community in, in, in that area 
are, were looking for for someone that they could put forward as a candidate. Um, it's not that far away, uh, and as I say, it's important that Into is is the probably the least well-known political party in this island. We've only been here for a year. We have a message that we need to get out there. So we are running across the country, 26 candidates. It's not that easy to get candidates who are willing to put their life to one side and put themselves forward to serve, um, you know, in the public sphere and who have the sort of confidence to, for example, talk to scary people like you, Brefney, you know, to, to go out and, 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 and do press releases. And that it, it, there, there's, it's not that easy to get people to do that and as i say the people there asked me if i if i would come and, and offer myself to rep, you know as a representative and i'm, I'm delighted to do so and um, so yeah in terms of let's talk about the main core to everything that you do and that is the, the right to life for all of life as you said like is it fair to say that that whole debate was put to bed with the eighth amendment because it was a fairly conclusive result in the end across the country um, and it doesn't look like it's going to be reopened anytime soon. Has that ship sailed? Is Ainsu little more than no. Sinn Féin with with a other belief? No, we have we have very very different policies in in, in a whole range of issues to Sinn Féin. No, the the Eighth Amendment was was put to the people of Ireland. Uh, first of all, the right to life is not dependent on any constitution or any law, or you know, the right to life is, is precedes and and uh, comes before and above all of that. Um, it's it's an innate thing that that it, it's it was a, a philosophical concept, but that's that's what it is. We're not trying to reverse the results of the referendum. Pater Tobin, our party leader in the dial at that time, did try um, to push back against the worst excesses of it. For example, that you know, late term babies who are being aborted in what must be a very painful process would have pain relief. That, for example, abortion would be out you know, made illegal in terms if if because of gender or because of the possibility of, of disability, that, for example, children under the age of 16 would be required, you know, to seek parental, the, the doctor would be required to seek parental consent and, and some sort of safeguarding uh, input around that because abortion can be an abuser's charter, particularly when, when small children are involved, when children are involved. Nowadays, you know, with the way that it is at the moment, a 13-year-old can seek abortion pills and take them you know, without any sort of oversight or parental involvement. Um, so those types of things, you know, I think certainly, you know, we can push back against that. Um, the 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 right to life, you know, we the, already we know that Ireland, the Eighth Amendment was, was cushioned in terms of women's safety. And we now see since the referendum result, the whole landscape has changed. And now it's choice, it's, it's, shutting up uh, the freedom of speech of people to 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 object it's it's you know exclusion zones or in clinics it's about you know just choice and and, and all of that third wave feminist agenda so that yeah. you know the the, the the question that was put to the people was a different question to what now has been pushed well, uh, you know, on the back of it, so yeah, we're not going to bring up all the, the issues about exclusion zones because I think they're there for their no, own reasons and stuff like that. And that really hasn't been an issue for this particular election either. In terms of the next two weeks as a as a candidate in Sligo Leitrim, what would be success in your opinion for you and for the party in the constituency? Well, what we want to do is 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 get our message out there you know we will be be, be canvassing we will be, be knocking on doors we will be 
uh, putting a leaflet through post. We will be putting up posters. Even no, but every, every party will be doing that. What what yeah. as a result would be success? Like, are you targeting a seat? Or have you got a figure course, for votes of in, in, of in mind? Of course, we're a seat. Is that like realistic? If I, get, if I get 50 votes, those are 50 people who were given a voice that they didn't otherwise have because our message is different to the, 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 the cartel politics, the finger in the wind to see where the votes are coming. You know, we, we have a, a message which is, is, I believe, in keeping with the tradition and the history of our country. And, you know, the number of votes... Obviously, we'd like to get tens of thousands of votes, but the, the actual number is irrelevant. It's it's the fact that we are making that availability and reaching out to people to offer them, uh, you know, a better a better solution to the problems that they have. Okay, well, listen, we've run out of time, unfortunately, to the deputy leader of Into Anne McCluskey, who is their candidate in Sligo Leitrim. Thank you very much for joining me, Anne. Not at all, Bethany. Thank you for talking to me. Now, the candidate for the People Before Profit Party in Sligo Leitrim is the Mayor of Sligo, Gino O'Boyle. Gino, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, Brefni. Good morning. You're more than welcome. Gino, tell us a little bit about yourself, obviously Mayor of Sligo, but tell us a bit about who Gino O'Boyle is and and what you represent. Well, I've been involved um, in community activism and community sports the last 15 years or more. Um, I was co-opted in to the council after the death of my late father, Seamus O'Boyle, and then I got re-elected myself uh, last year. I've been involved in local activism with the Right to Water campaign, the Marriage Equality campaign, um, and the Repeal campaign. So so you've been heavily involved in community projects over the yeah. years. What possessed you to run in the general election? Why, why are you putting your name forward on the ticket? Well, I think it's... Um, you hear this thing, the whole like, new voice, or I'm fighting for your corner, but in reality, Sligo and Leitrim have been neglected the last couple of years. Um, it wasn't more than the last couple of years. When we're out on campus and we see areas that, even though they might have had TDs, the reality is the work hasn't been getting done. I believe that to make a difference, you have to see the difference, and I think I could be that change to help make the difference that we need. What are the main issues you're finding on the doorsteps when you're knocking on doors over the last few weeks? Oh, housing, health, um, climate, the pensions, you know. With the pension age, we need to get that back down. Um, we're nearly the highest in Europe. And if you see what happened in France recently, when they tried to raise it, we had everybody or they had everybody out on the streets. It's time we have some action like that, you know. What would you propose to do in terms of the age? Should people before profit get into power or even into a, a coalition government? Like, what age are we talking about bringing it back to 65 or? We have to restore it back to 65 because the way it is now is some people are going to have to sign on after working all their life. And that's degrading. After a life of working hard now, you know, you have to sign on the dole to wait till you turn the right age to get the pension. And with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and people forget that Labour were involved in this. Um, the pension age is going to rise again. It'll be nearly 71 at some stages over the next 10 to 15 years. It's a disgrace what they're doing. Is it sustainable to bring it back to 65 from a financial point of view, or is the finance just a secondary thing in this this whole discussion? Well, for somebody working all their life, you have to remember that there was 20 billion taken from the pension reserves to pay off the ba- bail out the banks. You know, financially, you could increase it 
uh, up to 260 euros and bring it back to 65 and only cost 450 million. We have that accosted in our budget. What's the situation with the health service at the moment? We need to establish a national health service free at the point of use. We need a publicly owned one. You see what's going on even with the hospital left in the, like the, the overrun there, over 2.5 billion to build a hospital. You know, when the money could be put into the right, um, the right staff, a proper pay increase, and to cut the hospital wait lists. You know. But we do need a new children's hospital. We do, but for 2.4 billion, the same one was built in. I think it was Finland for 70 million. You know, the problem here with Ireland is everybody has to get a, their own back rubbed with the money. Unfortunately, it's so corrupt, it's really shocking. So what would people before profit do differently if they were in a coalition government after the election? What what would be the proposal that you would change about that? We need to put in a proper health service. We need to get in our own um, publicly owned uh, construction company because they keep saying that there's a recovery but there's only a recovery when there's when there's constant building going on and the building as it is is only happening in dublin we need it outside of dublin as well like i says people are being neglected let's talk specifically about leitrim for the moment because that's the area we cover what yeah. obviously you're sligo based what's your connection to leitrim or what's your interest in the county of leitrim well i've been involved in manor hamlin a couple of times with some sporting activities and if you can see with manor hamlin rangers you go up there, they have great facilities, you know, but around it, the roads and that. We need more investment in roads, public infrastructure. We need rural broadband. Like, again, wastage of money. Five billion going into uh, the broadband when it's going to be privatised, you know? So what's the alternative to that? Public ownership? Well, of course, they quite put five billion in for it to be given away. You know, sometimes I do think... When you're looking at the money we're wasting, it could be put into better services. You know, it's 500 million to cost, I would presume. We have it costed in our budget for um, uh, for internet, rural broadband. You know, how can it go from 500 million to 5 billion? Yeah, it's a bit of an overspend, all right. In terms of, sorry, but in, in terms of living in rural Ireland, I suppose I, I live in, in Leitrim Village, which isn't particularly rural, but even there in, in, a, in a village in County Leitrim, phone service can be atrocious at times. Broadband can be hit and miss for a lot of people. And the reality is that we need these services if people want to realistically come back and live in these parts of the country. Oh, yeah, 100% you need them, uh, the, the money invested, but you don't have to be paying $5 billion. You know, we're told that there's no money for the pensions, yet they can give $5 billion for the broadband. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a little bit of a double standard. What have you been finding on the do- on the doorsteps across the county and across uh, the constituency over the last few mo- weeks? H- how are you feeling? the The mood is towards yourself, and what's your what's your outlook well, coming into the election? Everybody says the exact same thing. All oh, the response has been brilliant, but the response we're getting is that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael aren't wanted on the doors. You know, it is time for a change, and it's time to break the cycle. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have been in government for decades. One in three other TDs are landlords. You know, they've created the, the worst crisis ever with the housing. We have the highest hospital waiting lists, you know, 700,000 people on waiting lists. And they think people want them to call to their doors. Yeah, One well, of the things here in Stigo is the local property tax is coming up and uh, the council rent increases. And we're doing a petition at the minute. And the council rent has gone up in April. They're going to take away the rent caps, which is it's fine for some people. But other people can't afford it. Old age pensioners who are actually getting an extra three or five euros in their pension every week, 
that's going to now go under rent, so they're going to go back into fuel poverty when they're buying an extra bag of coal with it. The local property tax is going to be reevaluated this year after it went up last year in Sligo, and it's going to be going to 15% again in November. So we have to try and put a stop to that. And there is no problem with uh, property tax as long as it's an additional household tax. You know, people already paid enough for their home. And if you have a second home or a third home that you're renting out to people, that's fine. There should be an additional house tax on that. But local property tax, it's a sham again. But in terms of that money, particularly in a rural county like Leitrim, where the population is not huge, um, I know the county manager and the county chairman, we've had them on the show talking about the the extra bonuses that that allows the council to apply for grants. And that money multiplies itself in an area like Leitrim or Sligo. Like, can we afford not to have those local property taxes realistically? Realistically, the local property tax brings just over 750000 into Sligo, right? The council has been massively underfunded and councils all around have been massively underfunded for generations, right? So if you're only getting 750 from uh, housing tax or uh, local property tax, what's that? It's a drop in the ocean. You know, we have $14.3 billion lying in a, in a bank account that could be given equally to through councils that will be able to have them properly funded for proper services. People were told that the local property taxes want to go into lighting and roads and what, whatever you have. It isn't going that way. You know, you're trying to get money here in Sligo, we're fighting, they're trying to get roads done, street lighting done, and it's not happening because the money isn't there. Yeah, but for projects that Sligo County Council, for example, or Leitrim County Council, whichever the, the jurisdiction may be, where there's yeah. matched funding grants available, that 700,000 probably multiplies by a factor of four or five by the time that actual spend on the ground has to happen. Yeah, but if you put on an additional um, housing tax, you want to re- come in with just under what you have, you know, and we should be putting a tax on uh, idle land. We should have a vacant site levy. If you have a vacant site levy and you'll come in with the same 700,000 that you're after missing out on your local property tax, the problem is land hoarding, and it's shocking in Sligo if you go around, we have office spaces laying all over the place with nobody in it because of people just being greedy and they won't lease it out for whether it's a nominal price or a small fee. They want to get top dollar for a place. And if you put a vacant site levy on them buildings, that'll have a whole change on the perspective. That's their renting it out. And you bring in 750,000 or close to uh, 1 million euros. Myself and Councillor Bree always have in the motion to put the vacant site levy on, and it's never passed because people don't want to interfere with big business. And that's why I think we should be taxing the corporations and the, the bigger businesses that don't pay, pay their fair share. Yeah, it sounds like a, it's going to be an interesting 10 days in the build-up to the general election. And I suppose all good points. And I hope people are engaging with you on the doorsteps when they're uh, when you drop it in to say hello and ask for their vote. Gino Boyle, Mayor of Sligo and the candidate in this year's general election for the Solidarity People Before Profit Party. The very best luck to you in the general election. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Stephanie. Our next candidate is with Renewa. Oshino Dwyer, welcome to the programme. Hello, Brethany. Uh, thank you for coming in. Let me first start by asking you a little bit about yourself. Tell me a bit about who Oshino Dwyer is and, and where you've come from. Well, I'm from Drumshanbo. Um, I'm a local man. I, I, I grew up in Drumshanbo my, and uh, I work in Carrick and Shannon here in retail. Um, I've, I've been involved in uh, activism for free speech and for pro-life and also for workers locally as well. So you've been involved in activism in the general area and now you've decided to put your name forward for the general election. Now, you have a bit of history in politics, but it's all been in the last probably 12 months or so. You joined Renewa yeah. at the start of last year, early last year, and you ran in the local elections 
How did that go for you? Uh, well, Renewa was a, an unknown entity uh, for a lot of Leitrim people, and uh, it's it's understandable like that. The, um, to get the name out there is is it's difficult, um, but I'm slowly getting there now. It's it it takes time. And in terms of the the work, because obviously you wouldn't have been happy with the the actual count. We won't go into the specific numbers, but it wasn't fantastic. But you did only join the party maybe a, a month or six weeks before that. It was a very late decision to run. In terms of the last nine months and progressing from there, how has that uh, development gone for you and the party in the county in the in the region? Yeah, it's been it's been a positive. Um, like, admittedly, yeah, the 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 votes that I got during the local elections were were quite quite small but they were spread over all the polling stations which I thought was quite positive it, it meant that there was a need for something new in, in all the areas of Leitrim Talk to me about Renewa and what it stands for and, and the main policies that the organisation has into the general election All their policies are based around three main ide- ideologies uh, family, community and country um, they have uh, a, a series of different policies and they cover many many different areas and sectors there was a big fanfare a couple of years ago big national launch there were elected officials there's been a lot of development in the party over the last few years as it stands no no directly elected um representatives in the country that's correct yeah we have no no elected representatives at the moment um, hopefully that'll change uh, all things going well if we get if we get a few elected even even one or two would be great um, but look, we, we we understand where we are and we're looking to evolve and try and bring as many people on board as we can. I, I just I feel that if people actually read into the policies that we have and instead of uh, discounting them and or, or being sceptical, just to keep an open mind and have a look at the policies and see what you think. That's all I can ask from anyone. Well, tell us about those policies. What are the top two or three things that Renewal will do if they get public representation? Well, uh, they want to protect uh, the children's education. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk recently. I, I don't know if anyone uh, in the area is, is aware fully of the situation with the RSE, like the, the scheme that's in place for, for, for example, sex education. There, it, I think it's been put on hold at the moment, but it, I, it was going into the third stage of um, the process, and effectively, uh, there was a, there was a, a danger of uh, uh, like pornography and and things such things of that nature being taught to children, and we were strongly, staunchly against that, and we wanted to make sure to, that our children were protected. Obviously, I'm a father, and I I, I have a strong stance against this. I, I don't believe that. Our children need to be exposed to things at an early age that they don't need to be. What age are your children, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I have two boys, and uh, Noah's five and Lucas is three. Okay, well, they're quite young now. But yeah. let's say, for example, the average teenager now, um, that RSE, the, the sexual education stuff, would come in probably in their second level education, I would imagine. Yeah, there was there was post-primary as well uh, in, included in it. Yeah. The guidelines came down from Europe, and they were guidelines. Um, it was left to the imagination. They, um, the the statement, if I can recall, was uh, to do with age. It it, it had to. Act, it could actually go down as far as six or lower, or even four. But let's take up, talk about teenagers now, because most teenagers, whether we like it or not, are sexually active, or there's a fair proportion of them from a much younger age than would have been the norm back when I was a teenager 
um, from 14, 15, 16, people are sexually active. Are they not better off knowing the facts and having a proper, thorough sex education? Because they all have access to the internet. They all are way more knowledgeable now than they were 20, 30 years ago. Should that not be structured and, and let them know about the importance of of being in a relationship, of the physical sides of what comes with being sexually active? Well, um, I suppose what I can say to that is I, I would be from um, a fairly religious family. Um, I, I'm, I'm not as religious as I could be, I suppose, but I'm trying my best. And uh, as a father, I think it's important to, to lead and to, to try and show good example. And I, I just can't get... I know there, there are issues with teenagers, I understand that. Uh, but uh, allowing, allowing your children, like to be exposed to that within the school system I feel is unnecessary like that's a that's a that's a duty that well like the parents are the primary educators and I feel that any anything that takes away that from the parents is is completely uncalled for well if they're the kids are educating each other before the parents have a conversation about it nearly in, in this day and age and learning from other children is great for most things but when it comes to that sort of stuff I, I just think well, I'm not going to get into the policy, but I just I just question about whether it's trying to close the door after or close the gate after the horse is already bolted. Like the cat's out of the bag already on that. Like I don't think we can get it back in. Yeah. Well, I I think what what needs to happen is that parents themselves need to have a talk with their with their children. I don't think like uh, that we send our children to school to to be uh, exposed to pornography. We send them to learn maths, English. Uh, all the basics that they actually need, and I know that the the sex education that we received, like, was probably not, you know, the the, the best, you know, like, but it's it still was non-existent. It, it, this is the thing. Like, I'm not even forty yet. It was non-existent. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, I it's 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 too liberal. I feel it, it needs it needs to be more. There needs to be a better approach. There has to be some better approach than this. You know, it's 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 a it's a blanket effect, and I I don't think it's the right one. Okay, let's talk about one of your other policies on on the manifesto or on your your plans this year, and that's about pro life at both sides of the spectrum. In terms of now, we, we obviously know the referendum for the Eighth Amendment happened, and it was carried uh, back in I think a couple of years ago. Uh, but we mentioned off air you talked about euthanasia, which is a different aspect to that. How important is pro life to renew? It's it's very important, you know. We we all we all have this moral duty, and I think everybody in Renewa feels that it's 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 basically, you know, pro life euthanasia is completely. Um, it's like a, a basically a, a business orientated thing, and it it doesn't have heart really. It's it's more about financial gains, and like I know. I know people suffer and and there are there are terrible situations where people suffer but you know the thing is is that everybody's life is important and the door it it opens the door to abuse it's like it's like what 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 you find with even with the abortion it's uh, once the door is opened it becomes more liberal more and and more and more things are added in and it, eventually like I, I recall even seeing an article where uh, I, I believe it was in Europe. I can't remember the country, but they they were actually bringing it in so that, say, people with depression 
could actually, you know, just go and, and if they wanted to end their life. And, and th that, to me, is where, that, you know, that's the extreme end of it. And that's where it could possibly go. And if, if you allow if this liberal, these liberal notions to, to take hold, there's, there's really no end to where they go. It's like it, anything is possible. It's almost a Futurama approach. In terms of success and what you would deem to be success, um, what would the general election, what would have to happen in the general election for it to be a success? Is, is taking a seat realistic in your opinion? Well, I would, I would love to get a seat. Um, I, I'm sure there's many other candidates in, in Renew that would too. But we're on a growing process and we'll, we'll stay on that course until we, until we um, find our feet. And we, we, have, we have sturdy policies and I, I fully endorse those policies. Um, but I don't think... The ele like we, we didn't have a leader before this and obviously coming into a, a general election it's one of the things I was asked recently so but would you not put your name forward I don't if you really believe in what's going on would you not say well, I'll take on the job and I'd let someone take you on and beat you but to put a leader in place well as, as, a, as, a, as a candidate starting out I've, I've only been there since last year effectively and I'm on a learning curve for for the for the most part, I'm I, I'm I'm a realist as well. I I I believe that I should learn. I, I I'm in the process of listening to people, and learning. And I, I I would not feel strong enough to be a leader. Maybe way way down the line, but at the moment I'm happy just to to learn from my betters and and take in the, the, the vast knowledge that they have and, and I appreciate it as well. Well listen Oshin, I hope you're wrapped up well for the, the nights on the canvas. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming in and taking Thank the time you, to chat for me having me. And the best of luck in the election. Thanks a million. And that folks is all we have time for today. We have run way past the half hour that we normally do on the show, but I think you'll agree that it was great to hear from some of those candidates that you might not have been that familiar with or might not have had the opportunity to get their points across in a crowded environment as some of the other broadcasters have done over the last few weeks. Uh, thank you to the nine candidates who did make themselves available for interview and the very best of luck to all 19 people who have put their name forward on the ballot paper to represent us in the next doll. I've been Brefney Early. This has been A Current Affair on Leitrim Daily. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the channel by clicking subscribe on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. We would love to have you around for more of the shows going forward. I'll be back tomorrow with a look at the sports roundup of the weekend. Talk to you then.